seated to Revelation chapter 6. You'll find this in your large, your large picture, of course, in your Bible on page 1660 and continuing on to 1661. Page 1660 and continuing on to page 1661. Revelation chapter 6. We'll be reading the first eight verses of Revelation chapter 6. Friends, this is the word of God. Pay attention to it. Revelation 6, 1 through 8. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see! Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see! So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death by the beasts of the earth. Well, my friends, you've probably heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And that's what this text deals with. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, of the book of Revelation. My friends, we see in our text that the conquering Christ triumphantly brings in the kingdom through all kinds of adversity. The conquering Christ triumphantly brings in the kingdom through all kinds of adversity. And so today, part one, we're going to be looking particularly at the first of these for horses. Now children, young people, listen to me. 
This is one of the most exciting passages in all of Scripture. And so you really need to pay close attention to this. Four horses. Riding. 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 Four horses. In terms of the general scene, of course, the context is that of uh, chapters 4 and 5, which picture the heavenly throne. In chapter 4, we saw the heavenly Father in his bright glory and the majestic scene around the throne, including that crystal lake and all the living creatures and the elders prostrating themselves in worship. And in chapter 5, we saw the lion and the lamb. That is to say, the lion of Judah, the one who has overcome so as to open the sealed book. But how did he overcome? Ironically, perhaps, he overcame by being killed, by dying. He is pictured as the lamb who was slain, yet still standing. And worship, then, is accorded, is given, this one, who is able to take and to open the book. That worship is offered by the four cherubim, these living creatures, these amazing creatures, and the 24 elders representing the entire church, Old Testament, New Testament, the myriads of angels, the thousands and thousands of angels, and all creation all bowing down, all worshiping him and saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And of course, as we've already mentioned, how many seals are there? There are seven. Seven. Why seven? Yes, seven is the number of perfection and completeness. And the opening of the seals, the opening, the breaking of those seals, just like you have an envelope and you you break the seal, the opening of the seals not only reveals God's plan, but also puts it into effect. Well, it is the Lamb who begins to open now and to break these seven seals. And of course, the reason why, it is because he is the Lamb who was slain so that he can open the book. That's the whole point. He has the authority. He has the authority to take the book. He has the authority to break the seals. And my friends, as we see here in chapter 6, when he opens a seal, then things begin to happen. Now you've probably already noted then for today in terms of the horse, the figure of horses and their riders is very prominent in this section. Now I'm sure that some of y'all like horses. I know we have a granddaughter or two that, that loves horses, loves to ride horses. And 
you know, they're, they're beautiful creatures, but they, they are generally associated with what? With strength, forces strong, with terror, with warfare, with conquest, with victory. Uh, for example, if you, uh, uh, if you look at Isaiah chapter 30, verse 16, you see, and you said, no, for we will flee on horses. Therefore you shall flee, and we will ride on swift horses. Therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. But it's, the, it's these folks who are saying, well, we're going to ride a horse. We're going to ride horses because they are swift. They're rapid. In chapter 31 of Isaiah, verse 1, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. But the point is, why are they? Why are the people looking to horses? Is because they do have strength, naturally speaking. We see also in uh, in Job. This is an interesting passage in Job chapter thirty-nine, where God is, where the Lord is answering Job out of the whirlwind. Job thirty-nine verses nineteen and following. Have you? given the horse strength? Have you clothed his neck with thunder? Can you frighten him like a locust? His majestic snorting strikes terror. He paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He gallops into the clash of arms. He mocks at fear and is not frightened, nor does he turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him, the glittering spear and javelin. He devours the distance with fierceness and rage. In other words, he runs swiftly. Nor does he come to a halt because the trumpet is sounded. At the blast of the trumpet, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of captains and shouting. Such is the horse. And of course we see this in other places in Revelation chapter 9 for instance in verse 7 the shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. So the locusts then were like horses. And of course chapter 19 of Revelation Verse 11, now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. But not only do you have horses here, but did you notice you have horses with riders? Horses with riders Chapter 1 of Zechariah, chapter 1 of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, chapter 1, verse 8, starting in verse 8, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow, and behind him were horses, red, sorrel, and white. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? 
So the angel who talks with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. And then in chapter 6 of Zechariah, again chapter 6, starting in verse 1, the prophet says, Then I turned and raised my eyes and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. With the first chariot were red horses, with the second chariot black horses, with the third chariot white horses, and with the fourth chariot dappled horses, strong steeds. Then I answered and said to the angel, Talk to me, what are these, my lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are four spirits of heaven who go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. The one with the black horses is going to the north country. The white are going after them, and the dappled are going toward the south country. Then the strong steeds went out, eager to go, that they might walk to and fro throughout the earth. And he said, Go, walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they walked to and fro throughout the earth. And he called to me and spoke to me, saying, See, those who go toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country. Now, these are figures, are they not? These are visions, if you will. But they're visions of what is real. That is that God really is, does send out his messengers. And sometimes he sends out his messengers under the figure of horses and their riders. That's what we see in Zechariah, and that's what we see here. In other words, these are not blind and independent forces running at will. It's not like wild horses somewhere out in Arizona or whatever, wherever it may be, or, or uh, in um, Chincoteague Island, Virginia. It's not wild horses. Rather, these horses are directed by intelligent will. There is a rider on each one. Notice then that each of the four living creatures is involved in this whole scene as well. Apparently, there was the voice of thunder that accompanied their cry. A voice like thunder, we read in verse 1. And by implication, at least, in the other verses as well. The call to come was directed to each of the four riders. Well, with that as a background now, we come to the first of these horses, and it is the white horse. It is the white horse. So what do we know about the color white? Well, it is the color of victory. It is the color of victory. The Roman commanders, in their triumph, as they came back from a war, came back from a battle, would ride a white horse. This is also the color for the overcomers. Chapter 3 of Revelation, as we saw, um, uh, with regard uh, to the church in Sardis, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. So it's the, it's the ones who are overcomers and victorious then in that sense. We've already mentioned Revelation chapter 19 as the Lord Jesus 
rides on a horse out of heaven. What color is it? It is white. Chapter 19, verse 11. And also we see in verse 14, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And we see also in chapter 4 of Revelation, chapter 4 and verse 4, those 24 elders who were sitting were clothed in white robes. So it's the color of victory. It's also the color of purity and righteousness. The color of purity and righteousness. Of purity. This is why traditionally a bride, a virgin, who's a bride, will wear white. It's the color of purity. Of purity and righteousness. Chapter 3, again, of Revelation, in verse 4, the remnant in Sardis had not soiled their garments. They had not defiled their garments. So therefore, they would walk with Christ in white. And furthermore, the saints then, in other places here in Revelation, are clothed in white. Chapter 6, verse 11, then a white robe was given to each of them. Chapter 7, in verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great number, which no man could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And verse 13 of chapter 7, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who is arrayed in white robes? And where do they come from? You see, what is being portrayed here then is that the one whose reign is pictured here, namely that of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the one who is totally without spot or blemish. And even though in the midst of battle he is not afraid of being clothed in white. How many of you would go out to battle clothed in white? You see. But he's not afraid of being clothed in white. And so the color white, but then we also see the bow. And of course, <clears throat> children, if you have a bow, what else are you going to have? Arrows. Arrows. And so that's the implication, is it not? Now we sang, we sang today from Psalm 45. We sang of Jesus, our Savior, from Psalm 45, and I'll read these words for us again. 45, <clears throat> first of all, uh, in uh, verse 3, gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. Then verse 4, and in your majesty ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies the peoples fall under you. The, so the bow then, the bow. And of course, what does this mean? It means that the Lord is going forth for his people's salvation. The Lord is going forth for his people's salvation. You see, the Lord sends forth 
convictions, convictions of sin, by means of his word, which are like sharp arrows. Now, the word of God is described in Hebrews 4 as like a double-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrows of the discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But the word is also like an arrow. Children, young people, the word is like an arrow. Older person, the, the, the word is like an arrow. It convicts. And so he sends forth his arrows of conviction in terms of our lives. We, we, have a pang, we have pangs of conscience. We realize, no, we are not serving God like we should. We realize we are not loving God like we should. We realize, perhaps, that we are headed for hell. And so the Lord Jesus, riding on this white horse, sends forth, shoots his arrows. But we also realize that there's another dimension to this. And that is that Christ shall slay, shall kill all of his enemies. And so his arrows are aimed to bring about salvation for his people and at the same time to bring about the destruction of those who stubbornly refuse to listen. And so the bow, we see the bow that Jesus has in his hand. And we also see the crown, the crown, showing that Christ is king, showing that Christ is king. Revelation 14, verse 14, that I looked and behold a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle to cut down, as like cutting down wheat, those that are his enemies, reaping, reaping in judgment. And also Revelation 19 and verse 12, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. So we have the color white, victory, purity, righteousness. We have the bow. We have the crown. And then we have the description that he is the one who went out conquering and in order to conquer. Now, the grammar here is very interesting. So he went out conquering. Now, that's a participle, so it's I-N-G on the end, right? It's a participle, which shows the ongoing process. He is conquering. He's continuing to conquer. This is his nature. This is his duty. This is what he is doing. He's conquering, but then... And conquer. It's a Hina clause. Hina in the Greek means in order to, with purpose. And show, so that clause, in order to conquer, shows purpose and perpetual activity. And my friends, what we see here is a portrait of Christ as he, as the king, brings about the kingdom. 
And that is seen all throughout Scripture. We sang today from Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. The Lord said to my Lord, He's the one who is going to conquer. He is the one uh, who is, who is uh, going forth. He is the one who is going forth. And, and in order, uh, he shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. But he is also the one then who, who brings a willing people, conquering them by changing them, by transforming them, by enabling them to love him so that in the day of his power, the, this will be a willing people that will do. And so he brings about his kingdom in every sense. We sang again from uh, Psalm 2 today. From Psalm 2, the, uh, in terms of, of uh, the rebellion of the nations. But the Lord, of course, the one who sits in the heavens shall laugh. And he says... I have yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And so the, it is King Jesus who sits there. And we see this, of course, all throughout the book of Revelation. We've already looked at chapter 1 of Revelation, verses 13 and following. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength and numerous other places, of course, throughout here. So, let me make one observation with multi-facets to it, one observation, before I apply this text today. Number one, or in terms of observation, Jesus is king totally and in every way. Jesus is king totally and in every way. So, Jesus is king over the individual and over all individuals. King. He is the one who will do with us as he will. And there are some that send to the preaching of the word who, by the grace of Christ, come into saving knowledge of him, and he is sovereign over that. There are some who sit under the preaching of the word in churches who reject that message, stubbornly rebel. And he's sovereign over that too, as he sends people to hell. Jesus is king of the individual. His arrows sharpened are. He is king over the family, therefore. And so the family unit is subject to his rule. He is king over the state, over the government. He is king over the state of Georgia. He is king over the United States of America. 
which right now is in rebellion against him and subject to his wrath and destruction. But he's king over the state. He is king over the church. And so, for example, when we convene a meeting of a church court, we do so in the name of and by the authority of the Lord Jesus, Zion's only king and head. He is king in a special way, in a particular way, over the church. And my friends, he is, it's because he is king, and king in every respect, that he is able to exercise dominion over all people, including his enemies. That's the whole point. If he was not sovereign over everything, then he would not be our savior. But he is able to do so. He does do so. And it's precisely because he is king that he exercises dominion over all, including his enemies. So I have two points of application. Number one, rejoice, rejoice in the sovereign rule of King Jesus. Rejoice in the sovereign rule of King Jesus. He is destroying all his and our enemies. He is. Doesn't look at many times. We look around us. We see what's happening in Canada, in China, sometimes in Australia, and sometimes in our own country. We see the lunacy. We see the, the, the horrible things that go on in our society today, and the rebellion. And yet, he is destroying all his and our enemies. Sometimes he's allowing them. You know the old saying, give him enough rope to hang himself? Sometimes that's exactly what he does. He's setting them up for a big fall. And he is doing so, my friends, on the basis of his having won the victory at the cross, because he's the lamb who was slain and yet is still standing and therefore it is a mediatorial kingship. It is on the basis of his work at the cross and his resurrection and his ascended into his ascension into glory that it's on that basis that he sovereignly from heaven is directing all these events. So rejoice in his sovereign rule. But secondly, make sure oh my friend Oh, my friends, make sure that you have closed with him. Be certain that he is your Savior. Because otherwise, he will be aiming his arrows straight at you and destroying you. Make sure that you have closed one who's riding on a white horse. Amen. We please stand for prayer. And now, our Father, we pray that the Lord Jesus, who does, who is conquering and riding forth in order to conquer, would conquer our hearts this day. So we pray, Lord, for each one here. Lord, thou dost know our hearts. Thou dost know who we are and what we are. Thou dost know the rebellion. Thou dost know the sin. Thou dost know us completely. 
pray, Father, that in this hour, that thy spirit would take this word, the seven spirits of God, would take this word, and would apply it to the glory and honor of Christ, in whose name we pray.